Welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio. We are coming to you on this Sunday night after National Signing Day. Uh, you know, last time we spoke with you, of course, we kind of wrapped up the national championship game uh, as Alabama fell uh, to the Clemson Tigers decisively uh, in, a, in a pretty shocking result that nobody saw coming. Uh, but the Alabama Crimson Tide fall in the national championship game. Clemson, the national champion for the second time, in three years, Alabama 14 and one. And uh, we uh, were talking at that point in time about the coaching staff and what it might, you know, who might join and who, what it might entail. Now we strongly believe that that's been decided and we can talk about that a little bit today. Uh, but uh, it's, I'm Drew DeArmond, of course, co-host of this uh, uh, podcast, BAMS Radio. And of course, always joined uh, by the wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, who is my fellow co-host and also producer does a great job from the uh, great port city of Mobile, uh, getting us rolling. Uh, of course, I'm here in the rocket city of Huntsville, and our third amigo is in Birmingham. And he's, of course, a former John Carroll Catholic star, also a uh, former star with the University of Alabama uh, from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide, a 1992 national champion, and that's William Redfish Barger. Welcome back, gentlemen. William, how are you doing tonight? Well, I'm not in Birmingham tonight, Drew. I am... Uh somewhere between Smart, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina, headed to uh, Charlotte for the week this week to work. So um, I'm uh, mobile. There you go. I'm on the road a lot myself, and my, what I do, of course, most of that is within the state of Alabama and the southeast. Of course, I just got I got through having a unique experience, William, uh, not, not this past week, but a couple weeks ago. We spent the week in Atlanta covering the Super Bowl. And let me tell you, it's as crazy as everybody thinks. I mean, I, I've but covered let me SEC. Tell you I, yeah. I, I went through there on a Sunday afternoon today about 4 <laughs> o'clock. And I don't know how those people, I mean, they all, they all have to be on some sort of uh, uh, opioid drugs to, to keep their nerves calm. I mean, it was 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And from for those that are familiar with downtown Atlanta, from the downtown area up until I'd say a good 30 or 40 miles you know, north on 85 from downtown, 30 to 40 miles an hour tops. Yeah, I mean it's I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's trust me that we were we stayed in a house, man, uh, uh, about three and a half miles from the uh, the Mercedes Benz Stadium. And, and from the Georgia World Congress Center where everything was going on. And it was a unique perspective, William, because we had been there for SEC Media Days back in July. And so many more people, so much more security, uh, temporary fencing up. I mean, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, if you didn't have a credential, you certainly couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and they were you would be checked uh, – six seven eight times a day uh with they check and recheck your credential it it was insane it was so many people uh so many media from all over the world i don't know how many different foreign languages i heard i mean trying to get a when you go to the media availability we didn't ever ever get a chance to go with the ram to the rams availability because they were during kind of the morning portion and when we were having our show but we got to get a chance to go cover the patriots and trey flowers from huntsville and of course dante hightower uh, the, maybe really the alpha dog of their defense. And good Lord, man, you're talking about so many people like Tom Brady surrounded, Rob Gronkowski. 
I mean, it was just insane. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. To put it in perspective, I've done the SEC media days now about four years in a row. And Super Bowl, it, there's about a tenth of the number of media at SEC media days as there is at the Super Bowl. It is crazy. I mean, it's just it's just really it's really nuts. And we didn't stay for the game. I mean, we were there from Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, we uh, didn't go to the game, but it was a unique experience. And we got a chance to sit down with Josh Jacobs and talk to him. His agent was letting him make the rounds down there in Atlanta. He impressed a lot of people. He was very well spoken. And he, he had a chance to speak freely, as he told us, you know, now that he's not at Alabama. And, you know, he said some interesting things. I'm sure you kind of read about some of it on the Internet. Uh, you know, he, he, he talked to us and said basically he could tell they weren't going to beat Clemson in the locker room before the game. He said the vibe wasn't good. He said some guys had definitely were complacent and thought they were just going to waltz out there and win the game. It just didn't feel right. Uh, he felt, and then, you know, he – he just uh, he said, you know, he just he felt like they, they weren't going to play well. And I mean, I, I thought that uh, it was very interesting that he would he would uh, be that frank with us. Uh, he, he was still really, you know, uh, happy with his career. I was able to share with him a little bit now about that. I knew the two guys that helped him, Gerald and, uh, of course, Kareem. And then uh, that I was able, by the grace of God, to, you know, get his film to uh, Burton Burns and. He just sort of lit up and relaxed and talked with us for about 15 minutes. It was a great conversation, and I can tell you, William, there's a lot of people think he may go into that first round now. He's impressed a lot of people. We know that the, the combine is going to be huge. It's coming up soon, but if he can knock it out of the park at the combine, I think Josh is going to be the top back in the draft, and I know with uh, what we've discussed on the show previously, that wouldn't surprise you at all. No, I think you know the biggest key for him is – um, you know, getting through the rest of the, the combine training, you know, without pulling a hamstring or tweaking an ankle. You know, he has, up until this past year, um, you know, shown to be a little bit injury prone, and that's, you know, not really something mm-hmm. he can help. It's just, he should have picked out a different mama and a daddy. Huh. But, you know, I, well, obviously he picked out a good one or he wouldn't be where he's at, but that's just, you know, kind of like Brody Croyle. You know, he, he just, uh, you know, his body failed. And uh, you know, I think it happens to everybody at a certain point, certainly at a certain age. And you know, you've only got so many miles. Um, you know, and you can take that kind of punishment, especially at a position like running back. But no, nah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, man. That that kid's tough as nails. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen someone that you know really doesn't have the prototypical size mm-hmm. um, at his position. You know, play play so angry, play so physical. I'm sure by now most people have seen the, you know, the play where he's, you know, decleaved a 270-pound defensive end, um, you know, against Clemson. It's one of the few uh, positive plays that happened for Alabama's offense in that game. But um, I, I wish nothing but the best for him. I think his presence is really going to be missed. Um, at Alabama because of all the things I just talked about, what he brings to the table. Um, you know, just, just just a nasty streak. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen a running back at Alabama that, that just had that kind of nasty streak, whether he had the you know, the ball in his hands on a swing pass coming out of the backfield, lowering his shoulder, or, you know, picking up a blitzer and pass pro. I mean, the guy just brought it and uh, – you know, I, I don't know what kind of vocal leader he is or was, but, but certainly set a great example um, on how the game's supposed to be played. 
Hey, William, I would say this. I've been watching Alabama football since uh, the mid-'80s. He's probably the best blocking running back I've ever seen at Alabama, probably the most violent and physical. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you'd, you'd certainly have to put him in the conversation in, in the, you know, the, the physicality department. And, and you have to put, almost put an asterisk as, as to how much smaller he is um, you know, versus a lot of those other guys. You know, it's um, – you know, one thing for a guy like Najee Harris that's, you know, 6'2", you know, 235, uh, you know, versus a guy that I bet you when the NFL puts a tape to his head, he's probably going to be 5'9 or less. It wouldn't surprise me um, if he comes up in the 5'8 range. Mm. So, um, you know, and I don't think that position, you know, that's not something that really matters. Um, and, and also, I think it would be a benefit for a running back to uh, – to be on the short side, you can play with better leverage and uh, get behind your pads better. But I, I, I think, you know, he's a guy, man, when you read this whole story, uh, how he grew up, you know, how the family struggled, you know, I think he's now got two young children. Uh, you really want to see him, you know, seize the moment and, and make this thing happen. Um, you know, hit a you – know, get into that first round, get a nice signing bonus – put that thing away for you and your kids down the road and, you know, try your best to get the, the three years in that you need to have to get that pension and the, the lifetime health benefits after you turn 45. So, but he's got a lot of things out there in front of him. He can still go grab. Yeah, he does, man. I mean, he's, he's a guy that, uh, uh, he's got two kids now. That's one reason why he missed one of the media viewing periods in bowl preparation, had his second child. And of course had one back when, he was uh, in uh, in high school in Oklahoma, so he's got a family to provide for, and I asked him about that, and he talked about it. He said, but well, the coolest thing about his dad is his dad would never ask him for anything, but he knows he can take care of his family, and that's a big part of the reason why, uh, you know, I believe he turned pro. Uh, and again, as you said, William, he was finally healthy, finally able to showcase uh, the Swiss Army Knife skill set, and uh, now he, he has the receiving skills, the running skills, the blocking skills. And uh, we all think, as I said, I told him, I said, no matter where you go, man, we're all going to be Josh Jacobs fans. We appreciate what you've done uh, at the University of Alabama, and we, we love your story. And I think that's one reason why, William. He, he admitted, too, that he was out for blood against Oklahoma. He didn't like Oklahoma. He didn't like the way that they approached him in the recruiting process. The funny thing was he brought up a name specifically, not Bob Stoops, but Mike Stoops. He said Mike Stoops watched him play youth football and yet, you know, didn't recruit him until the very last, you know, part of his recruiting process. And it was kind of funny uh, because, as you know, within a few days after that interview, he, he, Mike Stoops got hired at Alabama to be an analyst. So yeah. it's just sort of funny how that r- goes full circle. Yeah, it is. And, I, you know, I, I think that uh, certainly um, I'm sure he wishes he would have gone out on a different note um, in his last collegiate game playing for Alabama, but, you know, sometimes um, things have a way of working out like that. But at least he didn't get injured, so he can go into combine training 100%, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to make the most of this opportunity that he has. Yeah, hopefully so. There's no question. And uh, I wanted to bring Thomas into the conversation for the first time. Thomas, uh, welcome back to the show. You do a great job, as always, producing for us. Uh, what are your thoughts about Josh Jacobs and and how he may translate to the next level. Well, 
I, I can tell you that uh, I love me some fantasy football, and <laughs> Josh Jacobs is is certainly a. Uh, and we didn't even a, mention the kick returning. Yeah, that's we should have mentioned that too. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, th- you know, uh, that's certainly one of the guys that I'm going to look at as I'm scouting out my team for the next season. But I, I think could he be kind of a poor man Saquon Barkley? I, I I don't think that's completely outside of the realm of possibility. He and what, what is he going to now? Here's here's the thing. I'm sorry. You kind of caught me flat footed, Drew. Yeah. Is he going to go in the top five? Well, Daniel Jeremiah thinks he is, which yeah, that would be insane. I don't I don't think that happens because they they devalue running backs, even though they've started like Saquon with second. They've started to rise again. But, you know, top five. Wow. That would be crazy. I think he would – one of those things, you want, you want to see a guy that would be interesting, putting him on a team with a really solid offensive line group. Yeah. You know, that that's what you'd be looking for because, you know, you've got to give a guy like Ezekiel Elliott a ton of credit for being a fantastic running back. But it, it certainly helps if you can get through the first level of the defense nine times out of ten because it, everything's well blocked. So – Josh Jacobs is kind of in one of those positions that if he gets in the first round, it'll probably be in the back half of the first round. And those teams probably have a known quarterback. You know, you want to talk about a situation, and I don't know if they're going to go this way, and I'm not sure they should, but put Josh Jacobs uh, in Kansas City with Pat Mahomes and all those exterior weapons. They're probably going to go defense, but you want to talk about something fun just to watch that would be a good time. So I think his skill set will translate because the running back as both a ball carrier and a blocker and a receiver is still is still very valued. I mean, Todd Gurley had something like 250 touches. He, you know, he averaged a ton of game. That was one of the things that was really weird about both the Saints game and the Super Bowl with He's the Patriots. He's got to be hurt. Man, come yeah. on. Give me a yeah. break. Yeah. That's why I couldn't pick the Rams to win the game because Todd Gurley, William, you know how good he is too. I mean, I to me, I've seen two backs against Alabama that I knew were elite, and that you know, and and, and I think that's uh, Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, they've certainly you know faced some really good players, but them two cats, uh, you were just on another level in my opinion. And I, with what I saw out of Todd Gurley in the Super Bowl, man, he didn't seem healthy or against the Saints. But, yeah, you know. I mean, I, I certainly think that, that uh, you know, Gurley's one of the best. You know, and, and I think that, um, you know, Elliot certainly at the professional level, like Thomas touched on, I mean, you can't take anything away from his talent. But, but like he said, I mean, I, I've always struggled with, you know, and I don't, I don't watch enough NFL to really pay attention. All I can figure is Dallas must have a really bad defense to have that dominant, you know, at that level, at the NFL level, to have that dominant of an offensive line, and they just never seem to be able to put it all together. Um, you know, maybe that's, you know, on Jason Garrett. I mean, obviously the head coach has to get some of the blame. But, um, you know, I just think that, that Gurley, to me, is, you know, just unique because of his size. Um, he's such a big guy, but he can move. Um, and I certainly, uh, you know, he, he had a nice college career, but then again, 
Um, other than that 2012, you know, Georgia team, which, you know, didn't have an elite offensive line. You know, he, he got a lot of those yards by himself. So, um, but, yeah, I think two of those two guys are two of the top backs in the NFL, no doubt. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think uh, that uh, uh, Josh Jacobs has got a bright future, and we look forward to seeing – uh, you know, uh, him translate to the NFL. But uh, speaking of going back to Alabama, they finish out recruiting, William. Uh, I, I thought only one slight disappointment uh, on signing day, the second signing day, uh, you know, on uh, uh, this uh, on the first Wednesday in February. I thought, you know, not getting Henry Toa Toa kind of stung a little bit because I know you were hearing like I was 24 hours before signing day. Things look promising with Toa Toa. Uh, but he ends up going to Tennessee. You got to give Jeremy Pruitt a hell of a lot of credit. I mean, that dude is a great evaluator and recruiter. We've always talked about that. Uh, and of course, one of his assistants, former off the field staffer for Alabama, now tight ends coach Brian Niedermeyer, I think uh, you know had a big hand in that. And Niedermeyer, I think, is going to probably be the national recruiter of the year according to Twenty Four Seven Sports. But uh, Tennessee with a top ten class. Alabama still signs the number one group, uh, but uh, they and they get Keelan Robinson like we expected, uh, and of course they get the two big defensive linemen, Ismail Sopcher, uh, and uh, and also of course Byron Young. Byron Young, one of these underrated guys, I think. Uh, I know you really like him, but uh, I still would have liked to have added another linebacker, either uh, Toa Toa or Nicobe Dean. Really like Toa Toa better, but uh, Jeremy Pruitt comes on. Uh, with a late surge and is able to close the deal with a great player. Yeah, you know, I, I would have thought anything, you know, Drew, with the way things were trending there towards um, National Signing Day, if, if Alabama swung and missed on him, it was going to be because he decided to stay home and go to Washington. Yeah, that's what uh, we were hearing, I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like Tennessee had kind of been eliminated from, from some mm-hmm. of the stuff that I was hearing. But, um, you know, it's uh, – you know, I think that's what, what has always impressed me about, you know, Jeremy Pruitt as a football coach is he's done a, a really good job of identifying people that, that can be, you know, key influencers and, and help the decision-making process, um, you know, go in his favor. Um, you know, he first did it in Georgia mm-hmm. uh, when he brought in Sam Petito. Um, yeah high school ranks in Louisiana and, you know, turned out to be instrumental. And, and, and I was really surprised that, that he didn't take Petito with him when he went to Knoxville. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of where the relationship was and how you know, he ended up in Tuscaloosa. Uh, but, you know, it looks like he's done it again with a kid that's just 30 years old in Niedermeyer. I mean, uh, you know, went out and got uh, Cordarius Crouch, Darnell Wright, and Henry Tototo, you know, three elite players, um, you know, top two or three in their position um, you know, in the country. So uh, that was a nice little haul. I think you know, he continues to try and change that culture up there. Um, you know, now he's got to start, you know, uh, going out and winning battles like that. You know, he's going to have to, you know, beat, beat Nick Saban um, on an annual basis guys like J.J. Peterson and, and Henry Tototo. He's going to have to beat out Georgia for a Darnell Wright um, you know, if he wants to get that program 
going back where it's supposed to be. So, um, you know, I'm not one of these people that, you know, views him as a, uh, you know, an evil entity now just because he's working up there in Knoxville for Fulmer. Um, you know, very intrigued to see if he can ride the ship up there and, you know, maybe one day put himself in a position to where he's, uh, you know, in, in position to take over for Nick Saban when he decides to retire. Let me ask you a question because we all know he took over a dumpster fire compared to what Kirby Freeze, I mean Smart, took over at Georgia. <laughs> because, I mean, Georgia had a lot of seniors and juniors and seniors, a lot of good players. Rick had recruited well. Tennessee had had good classes on paper, but there had been no player development. There was, you know, they weren't very talented. We saw how they ended last year. But this is a, his first full cycles in the top ten. You know, he, I, he, re, he got some guys like you brought up a great point with Crouch. A year ago, nobody would have thought he was going to go to Tennessee. Everybody would have thought he oh. was going to Clemson. So he got Toa Toa. He got Darnell Wright. He got a lot of good players. So, I mean, it, we, and now he, he's tweaked his coaching staff. We'll talk about that in a second. But how long before, in your mind before he starts being a, a pain in not just Nick Saban's ass, but especially Kirby? freeze i mean smart i mean come on i mean because that's the big thing because that's in his division and if dan mullen starts getting rolling and and jeremy pruitt can write tennessee ship then there won't be nearly as easy a path to navigate at georgia yeah you know i think there's still going to be some growing pains this year you know the right the goal should be you know six or seven games bowl uh, game bowl, bowl game Mm-hmm. take that next step because I, I do think he's still going to be maybe a quarterback short and, you know, a couple of defensive linemen short before, you know, things are, but, you know, went out and signed some really good offensive linemen, you know, some good linebackers. And where the, the Jeremy Pruitt magic tends to happen is with three-star guys, mm-hmm. um, you know, the guys that he's identified that could possibly become, you know, elite players, um, you know, kind of like Nate Andrews from Mobile did for him when he was at FSU. Um, you know, let's, let's don't forget, this is a guy that went out and got, when he was at Georgia, you know, went out and got a three-star named DeAndre Baker that nobody really wanted. And uh, he's probably going to be the top cornerback taken in the, in the NFL draft this year. Um, you know, Roquan Smith wasn't a really highly recruited linebacker coming out of out of high school, so yeah. Uh, but that's that's what you know he, he's so good at, and, and I think now that he's starting to identify guys, you know, that are so young and Niedermeyer that can be an elite recruiter for him. Um, you know, that's that's going to be. I, I don't think that next, you know, take that next step this year. If you go to a bowl game, that's certainly going to make the recruiting pitch even better. But you know, he, he's already, I think, in my opinion, a, a pain in the ass. Uh, to the Georgia program. I mean, he went 20 miles from downtown Athens, Georgia, and, and signed a five-star offensive tackle named Juana Morris. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, that, yep. That's not that's not supposed to happen. Um, so, you know, I think he ended up with seven players from the state of Georgia, which is what Tennessee historically has always done when they've had their good programs, their good teams. You know, the the – centerpiece of that national championship team in 1998 was put together three or three or four years prior 
when Rodney Garner went to Metro Atlanta and signed uh, Cozy Coleman, uh, Deion Grant, and uh, Jamal Lewis. So, mm-hmm. you know, for Tennessee to get back to where they want to go, they're going to have to do well in Georgia. You know, they're going to have to get, you know, get back to taking players out of the Carolinas. Uh, you know, back when they were rolling under, you know, Johnny Majors, you know, they, they recruited nationally. I mean, they were a national brand. They went to New Jersey. They went to California. They went up to Ohio and took players from Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. So that, that's to me, is, is the, you know, the next step is, is, you know, get that six game, six win, you know, hopefully more, go to a bowl game, and then all of a sudden you can start setting your sights on, you know, taking down the, the Georgias and the Floridas and the East. Yeah, another great uh... – uh, part uh, 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 you know example of what Jeremy does is that uh, Fairhope defensive back Nate Andrews he flipped him from Minnesota he played a big role at FSU and I think he's now on the support staff for or as a GA at Tennessee for Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, he's got a, he's getting a lot of his uh, you know following the the Nick Saban route you know yeah DJ Petway's been on that staff Brandon Diedrich's been on that I think Brandon still is. Um, you know, he uh, took Amy Bragg's second-in-command dietitian uh, to, to, you know, take that, you know, elite food program and sports nutrition uh, up there. So um, that's kind of surprising to me. I figured Nate would make it for a minute in the NFL. I didn't realize he was already in coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but, it, but he, yeah, he ended up becoming a really good player and helped him win that 2013 national championship. Uh, and to kind of as a true freshman, yeah, that's right. And uh, of course, he got Jalen Ram- Ramsey. were both true freshmen. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey got somebody fired at Alabama. I remember that, Paul Ganella. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but you know, and uh, of course, Ramsey turned into a first round pick. And he's one of the better corners now in the NFL with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But it's interesting too. Uh, now that we've seen Nick Saban fill out his staff, let's talk about that. First, uh, we'll go over maybe the defensive staff, and let's all let's say none of this has been announced. Uh, but uh, you know, I I can tell you, you know, from sources uh, uh, close to uh, the Red Elephant Club, wink, wink, that you know, after you know, uh, from what we're hearing, uh, the defensive coordinator is going to be Pete Golding, an inside linebackers coach. I I've told people for a reason he kept Pete from going to Ole Miss and Oklahoma. So that was probably going to be because he still believes he can be that defensive coordinator. Uh, he brought, uh, you know, Sal Sunseri back. He trusts him. Going to be the outside linebackers coach, uh, a guy that's a veteran, knows and very comfortable in his skin now. He tried being a defensive coordinator. That didn't work out. I don't think he, I think he knows he's not going to be a head coach. But I think he was an underrated recruiter when he was here at Alabama the first time. Certainly not Tosh but very solid and a hell of a position coach. I mean, he's been in the NFL, uh, you know, double-digit years as well. And then, you know, he's going to bring in, uh, you know, uh, Brian Baker now as the defensive line coach from Mississippi State. I think we are all in agreement that when we saw uh, the uh, Alabama's opponents play this year, the Mississippi State had one hell of a D-line, and he, uh, and he spent 19 years in the NFL in his own right. Uh, and then Carl Scott will coach corners uh, and uh, will stay at Alabama. And and then the other defensive coach will be Charles Kelly, who I think may be the co DC because he's had you know a lot of defensive coordinator experience. Of course, so has Carl Scott, uh, and even as we said, Sal Sunseri. But I just really think because of his uh, back end uh, talent with the secondary that 
and his expertise that Charles Kelly may be the co-DC, also going to coach the safeties. But, William, your thoughts on Brian Baker now as the D-line coach and then this defensive staff as a whole? Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, it, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, does he continue on this path of only staying somewhere for two years on average, which is what he's done. Um, and a lot of that at the NFL level can't be helped because you don't get to hang around very long as a head coach unless you win. Right. So there's always going to be a lot of turnover there. Um, but, but I thought that it was interesting. I mean, one of us could have coached Jeffrey Simmons. Huh. Uh, but, but I thought the guy did a heck of a job developing uh, the sweat kid mm-hmm. um, into a, you know, a top 15 you know, edge rusher. And he's going to be one of the first edge guys that comes off the board. And uh, you know, I think that his, his play um, you know, certainly elevated after Baker came to start um, I'm excited to see what he what he can do. I mean, I will say that you know only at Alabama can can a guy like Craig Kuglowski, you know, come in, be considered one of the best defensive line coaches in college football, and you know, not be retained number one, but also a guy that's you know at multiple stops. You know, earned the nickname Coach Cool because all the players loved him. And, and you know, if you, if you believe a lot of the rumors, um, he wasn't very well liked by the coaching staff or the players. I just find that baffling. Um, but but I think it's been a a, a really good um, you know hire, like you said. I mean, I think you know Sal's biggest um, you know contribution is going to be reestablishing the toughness. Yeah. Um, that, that he's always coached and preached and, you know, certainly is going to help ease the blow, you know, up there in the Maryland and DMV area with, with Loxley and Tosh being, being awesome up there, Josh Gaddis as well. Um, he's got a lot of experience, you know, up there with the, you know, going back to his days of getting the Quanjo brothers, um, you know, some of all those guys you know, up there in that Baltimore, D.C. area. And it's, you know, a loaded year um, next year as well um, for recruiting. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I would say both Sal Sinceri and Charles Kelly, you know, kind of fall under, you know, that, that and maybe I think they're both probably at that stage in their careers where that they not both of them know that head coach is probably not an option. And I think both of them imploded, um, so badly at the different stops as defensive coordinators that they probably realize, you know, this is the only chance they've got to ever get back there again if, in fact, that is a goal of theirs to get, you know, past just being a position coach. Uh, but I'm, I'm very pleased with the, uh, you know, the coaching hires. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still – you know, I'm still on the fence with Pete Golding as the as the defensive coordinator. You know, if you yeah. believe if you believe the rumors uh, that he was the guy that was making the play calls in November and December anyway, so I, you know, hopefully that was uh, that that can be approved improved upon. We'll see um, if, if you know, Nick Saban believes in him. That's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think Pete Golding is the one on the clock. Uh, certainly, Pete. 
uh, is a guy that, uh, you know, uh, came in as a young and up and comer, uh, but he didn't close on uh, with uh, Nicobe Dean uh, or Henry Toa Toa. So there's questions about his recruiting, though he did get Ismail Sopcher and Byron Young. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, I have questions about him, no doubt about it. Uh, and it's a DC, even if he did take over the play calling, and uh, they say that the Tossley Point was still coordinating. The defense at times still did struggle, so that's going to be definitely a work in progress, no question about it. Uh, and I, I'm I'm going to be anxious to see how uh, this new staff works together, and you know how they end up, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, gelling. And I, I wanted to get your take on this. Derek Ainsley just recently got hired as defensive backs coach uh, at Tennessee. Terry Fair moving on. Now we hear rumors that Bo Davis could be could go to Texas A&M. Uh, after his show calls ends in April, uh, certainly Kirby Smart might be interested in him. But we also hear Jeremy Pruitt could. So Bo Davis could end up back in the SEC. Uh, William, uh, you, it, what would you, what would your thoughts be if uh, uh, if if Jeremy Pruitt was able to bring uh, Bo Davis to Tennessee? I I don't think he would sacrifice Tracy, Tracy Rocker. Yeah, gotcha. To bring in Bo Davis. You know. It's, okay. Uh, you know, you know, Rocker doesn't like to recruit, but he's the better X's and O's coach. Bo Davis, mm-hmm. I always felt like he was overrated as a recruiter at Alabama. I never understood the, the Bo Davis love fest myself. Um, I thought both times that he left, the defensive line got better after he was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, Jimbo, you know, obviously has a relationship with them from their days together at LSU. Um, I just don't see Jeremy doing that. Um, I know how much he thinks of Rocker. There again, I'm not a huge Derek Ainsley fan, and and Jeremy is. So, he's the one that's, you know, got got to keep earning that that $3 million paycheck. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'll be surprised um, based on some things that I've heard if Bo Davis is in the SEC for the 2019 season, I think that uh, some of the same backroom agreements and arrangements have been made the same way that they were with Hugh Freeze. Right. Um, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't at least do one more year in the NFL just based on some things that I've heard. And, and uh, there, there were a lot of people not named Dick Saban Mm-hmm. Did we just lose him? Did we lose you, William? With him driving, we might have hit a dead spot. So yeah, he might. If have. he drops out, uh, I'll get him back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because I I knew he was on the road, but yeah, you know, he and what William's saying is, you know, that uh, that uh, with the it's the, the timing is kind of weird with Bo Davis. I mean. Because you're not going to be, no matter where he's at, it sounds like uh, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, has decided, you know, uh, that uh, no one, no SEC school can bring him in until his show causes up, which would be in mid-April, which is after spring practices have pretty much all wrapped up. So he would not be able to coach at his new place until, uh, you know, uh, uh, the until uh, the fall, basically, and on into May and into and before the season. So. Uh, that that's what he's saying, and I can understand that because that and Tracy Rocker is well respected. He's been a lot of places in the SEC, 
Uh, he isn't known as a recruiter, but certainly he was a hell of a defensive lineman at Auburn. He had some good D lines uh, at Ole Miss and at Arkansas. He was back at Auburn, and now he's at Tennessee. So, I mean, and, and Rocker and, and Jeremy Pruitt are very close, because and I think William may be back with us. And, William, I know you told us at one time, and I think that was pretty common knowledge, that Jeremy was uh, actively trying to get Tracy Rocker to Alabama. Yeah, can y'all hear me now? Yeah, we got you. No worries. We were just. Okay, I don't know. Going. I don't know what happened. I had a I had a full signal and it just disappeared. Yeah, uh, it, it's yeah, been on the road, did. man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yes, he did. He did try and uh, you know lure Tracy Rocker to Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. um, but the family was in a position where they didn't want to relocate. Um, their son, yeah. um, who was one of the top baseball prospects in the country for his age. Can't remember what you know. This would have been uh, 2016, I guess. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. But yes, he he did try and get him, uh, bring him from from Athens with him. Um, mm-hmm. It just didn't work out. Um, and you know, I think that puts you know the anybody that wanted to bring in Bo Davis can't have them available for spring practice. Right. So do, you, do, you let a, do you let a GA coach your, your, you know, one of the most important positions on the field um, and then bring a guy in, you know, blind in the summer? Uh, that's just asking a lot. So I, I just – I'll be surprised if he just doesn't stay put uh, where he's at and stay in the NFL for one more year. Then you might see him come back to the SEC. Gotcha. And, and that's right, Judge. Uh, uh, you know, uh, that uh, Tracy Rocker what was at Georgia as well uh, with uh, Jeremy Pruitt. So they, they, they have an extensive history. So uh, that'll be interesting to follow. And then the offensive coaching staff, William, from what we understand, Chip Long from Notre Dame was almost brought in as the OC, you know, buyout be damned. But uh, Jimmy Sexton in, intervened and uh, informed Nick Saban, one of his clients who had worked for Saban before in 2016 as an analyst. Steve Sarkeesian had been, you know, dismissed by the Atlanta Falcons. Though in his second stint with the Falcons, they were much more productive on offense, but still decided not to renew his contract. So Steve Sarkeesian coming back to the college game. He's going to be QB coach, OC, uh, going to call the plays at Alabama. And then this offensive staff, only one returning, Jeff Banks, is uh, tight ends and special teams. The rest of the staff, uh, Brent Key, was, that was sort of expected. He did not return. Uh, he he went to become uh, Georgia Tech O-line coach and co-head coach or assistant head coach. He's uh, going back to his alma mater. Uh, and so they uh, brought in Kyle Flood. Kyle Flood was closely uh, tied with Steve Sarkeesian. They worked together in Atlanta. Kyle Flood was the longtime O-line coach uh, at Rutgers. I, I have to say, uh, uh, you know, from the, you know, uh, People that I've uh, the buzz I've heard he was impressive at the Red Elephant Club when he was introduced. So that's Steve Sarkeesian, Kyle Flood. Then running backs wise, you got Charles Huff. You've already mentioned the DMV area in Maryland. Charles Huff has some tight ties there. He was the one that came in and kept Keelan Robinson committed. So Charles Huff's a young guy. I thought he did a great job at Penn State helping develop Saquon Barkley. And then Mississippi State had a really nice backfield this year. Uh, with Aries Williams and then Kylan Hill. So there you go with uh, Charles Huff. And then a little bit of a wild card, a wide receivers coach, Holman Wiggins from Virginia Tech. Not as familiar with him. 
uh, but some new faces and some old uh, on the uh, offensive staff. Your thoughts on what it looks like Nick Saban's going to do. Looks like, to me, they'll still keep some of the RPO principles, but I think he's wanting to go back to more traditional offense and, you know, and be more physical at the point of attack uh, with Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood as the O-line coach. But your impressions so far, what you thought about the hires on offense? You know, I, I, I personally like the Sarkeesian hire. Right. Um, I think he's a proven, you know, quarterback coach. Um, I think, you know, a lot of Alabama fans are going to be happy because it is, you know, past. He's tend to be a little bit more run heavy um, than, than slinging the ball all over the place. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, a proven commodity of both both jobs he'll have in Alabama on the other side of the coin. And, and hopefully I'm wrong, but the, the Kyle Flood hire does absolutely nothing for me. Um, gotcha. I just don't, I just don't see you know, him being an upgrade over Brent Key. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully, you know, this time next year he's my, my favorite coach on the staff. But I'm just, you know, I, in, in the coaching business, when you're a lifer at one school, um, even though I know at the end of it it was you know, the head coach, that that's not a a positive um, that, that you know nobody else wanted you. You know he wasn't even the, the main O line coach for the Falcons last year, but you know we'll see. I mean it's not like he's going to have to um, you know coach a bunch of two star offensive line, but he's got a nice group of guys to work with, a lot of young players. Um, it'll be interesting to see what his version of the best five uh, are going to be in the lineup. Um, you can see a, a totally different look um, out of the O-line this year, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see some good things out of them here, you know, a month when they, when they start going through spring practice. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued, I guess. It wasn't the sexiest hire, but I wasn't against bringing back Sarkeesian. And we'll see with Kyle Flood. Like I told a lot of people, when they hired Jeff Stoutland, he had been at Syracuse and Miami. Nobody really knew who he was, and they were they, they were a wait and see. And he became a great offensive line coach. Of course, he wasn't a great recruiter, but he's a hell of an offensive line coach. They had a great line. Uh, and then he's gone on to the Eagles and won a Super Bowl. I know, I, from what I hear, Saban tried to call him, but not surprisingly, he's staying in the NFL. We've talked about that. You talked about the quality of life you have in the NFL. You don't have to recruit. And it certainly paid off with someone you're very familiar with, Freddie Kitchens, who I know uh, that uh, Nick Saban has tried to hire on multiple occasions, and he stayed the course in the National Football League. And now he has uh, the Cleveland Browns job, which – might be one of the up-and-coming jobs in the National Football League because I think they finally got a GM that's worth a flying shit, and I think they finally got a quarterback. And Freddie did a nice job as interim OC and play caller and now gets a chance to be the head coach. So, I mean, what an opportunity. Who would have even thought it a year ago? Uh, Freddie's been a longtime assistant in the National Football League, but now he's got a great opportunity, and it's all about timing. Yeah, I could have – you could have given me – Fifty guesses of, of people that I played football with in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that I that 
would have ended up being a NFL head coach, and he wouldn't have been one of the 50 guests. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, very, very happy for him. Uh, you know, guys been through a lot. You know, almost died on the practice field a few years ago when his ankle right. ruptured and his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did a really good job for Bruce Arians out at Arizona. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's nice to have uh, two two names on your resume that read Bill Parcells and Nick Saban. That's uh, that's going to open a lot of doors for you in the football world. Uh, but he, he's earned it, done a good job. Um, you know, going to have Tosh LaFoy up there working with him on the defensive side of the football. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I know uh, me and a couple of my former teammates have already talked about going up there. We haven't decided if we want to go to training camp or to an actual game yet. But we've already got a, a trip planned to go up there this summer or fall. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. I haven't physically seen Freddie in probably 15 years. Um, wow. Since he was recruit, since he was coaching and recruiting for the uh, the North uh, Texas Green Mean Green. <laughs> That's right. He was running by his coach there, and what a you know what a journey it's been. Freddie's definitely another one like Davo. I think it's been an overachiever that's done a hell of a job, and you, you got to be very uh, thankful for both of them. No question about it. Uh, but uh, I've got to go back though. This uh, this recruiting class overall, William. Uh, there, I, it seems to me that it was built the way Nick Saban wants to build his football teams, inside and out, uh, from the inside out. Uh, he he built a, an outstanding five-man offensive line class, uh, and then I think after getting Sopcher and Byron Young, it's as good a defensive line class as I've ever seen. Uh, one school sign of high school guys. Uh, it's deep. It's six guys. Uh, you're. Uh, do you share that opinion? And what what is your what are your thoughts on this O line and D line group Alabama signed? Well, I mean, of the late signees, um, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more impressed with uh, Byron Young than I am Saucer. Right, um, right. I'm a I'm a little concerned. You know, and just so you can see where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little more concerned that he might be more of a prototypical nose guard. Um, than, than a defensive tackle. Um, at, at basically the same weight, um, you know, Deron Payne was a was a five-flat guy, um, you know, at 340 pounds, and, and Sopcher's a 5'6", 40 guy, 340 pounds. So, mm. you know, maybe if Scott Cochran can peel him down, um, that, that might get better. But I'm, I'm just a little concerned, and, and I just don't, you know, I, I just don't think there's really much of a need um, in today's college football game for a zero technique nose guard. You know, even you know, if you look at the one that you know played that position last year, uh, Williams. I mean, he, you know, he wasn't a zero technique nose guard. That's just where he lined up. Um, but I, I really like Byron Young a lot. I think he's got you know a lot of upside. I think if you throw him in there with with uh, Alfano and mm-hmm. guys like you know, Justin Bogier and, and you know a guy that nobody really ever talks about who I'm very high on, you know, DJ Dale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he's really underrated. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really a Brandon Ingraham. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know Brian Baker's got to just be foaming at the mouth to get his hands on really what's already on campus. 
and, and what was brought in in this recruiting class. I mean, you can uh, – but let's just put it this way. There's the potential just out of the D-line class that you know, three or four years down the road, you, you could have multiple first-round draft picks in the same position group. Um, and then when you flip over to the other side of the ball, um, and I don't know if I've ever said this on here or not, um, you know, I think well, something that's very interesting in, in regards to Alfano. Um, I spent several days over, I can't remember now if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of the fall holidays, and just, you know, tried to compare, find somebody that compared you know, in the last 10 years as a high school senior, um, you know, elite defensive line prospect, what Antonio Alfano, you know, the numbers he put up at the opening this summer. And I couldn't find a high school kid. The only defensive lineman I could find that was right there with him was what J.J. Watt put up when he was at Wisconsin and he came out into the NFL draft at the NFL Combine. So that's, and I'm not trying to sit here and say that, that Antonio Alfano is going to be better than what J.J. Watt is now. Uh, but there's some hardcore facts and numbers that indicate he's got a chance to get there one day. And I think that's just unbelievable. Um, you know, on the other side of the ball, I think that, uh, like you said, I agree, Drew, this offensive line class, um, you know, really I think headlined by the two um, – Two tackles, Evan Neal and um, Amari Kite from you know, Thompson High School in Alabaster. Um, it, it is really what the doctor ordered. You know, you wanted to have you know two guys that can play left tackle and right tackle in the SEC. You know, I think you've got you know some good interior, some really good interior guys. Um, you know, a guy like Dalcourt can play center. Pierce Quick can probably play center or guard. And, um, you know, I think the, the Bowles kid from Kentucky is a multi-position player as well. Um, so they've got a lot of really good players from multiple positions, um, you know, that can be developed. And, you know, there's there's an outside chance that, you know, maybe Evan Neal um, starts somewhere on that offensive line right out of the gate. You know, he's got the, you know, kind of the same path that, that Cam Robinson, you know, came in on. Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit heavy, a little bit overweight. You know, didn't look ready the first week of spring practice to, to take that left tackle job. Um, but by the end of it, he did. And, and you know, certainly by that fall camp, his true freshman year, uh, he, he certainly looked ready. So, you know, you can see somebody like Evan Neal, you know, factor in. Maybe on that starting offensive line next year as a true freshman, we'll have to wait and see how it all works out. But I think, you know, when you when you look at this recruiting class, what really stands out to you are those those interior defensive linemen, uh, the offensive line class, and certainly um, that that loaded DB class as well. I think you know, this is two years in a row where they've really brought in some quality guys in the back end. Yeah, I think they're going to build a strong secondary, no doubt about it. You know, uh, and I think it said a lot. Uh, obviously, Nick Saban would have probably processed Carl Scott if he didn't think he did a good enough job. Carl Scott's coming back, uh, <laughs> and then you bring again, you bring in a guy like Charles Kelly, who uh, I know Jeremy Pruitt really, uh, you, you know, uh, 
really liked him on his staff and thought I, from what I hear, he thought he did a, a very solid job coaching the safeties and the special teams. And so he's going to come in with a lot of experience as a defensive coordinator and be able to work with those guys. And I'm just interested to see what Nick Saban does now because Nick Saban has usually only had one defensive backfield coach and he was heavy handed with it. I'm sure he's still going to be, but I thought it was interesting that he decided to go five offensive and five defensive coaches. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it was an interesting move. I, mean, I thought kind of at the 12th hour, bringing in Charles Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. get a veteran, you know, DB's coach, a guy with a lot of special teams experience uh, there. You also, uh, like you said, I think that if Nick Saban had thought that Carl Scott had done a bad job last year, um, you would have seen him depart the staff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good mix of some young guys. Um, and I think, you know, too, um, you know, while Pete Golding, um, you know, wasn't able to come in at the 12th hour, I, I figured once, you know, Tosh left the Cleveland Browns, it's probably going to put, or certainly put to Toto and Chris Bogle in jeopardy. Yeah, um, Chris Bogle, mm-hmm, yep. Yep. But but I but I do think this. I thought he did a very impressive job holding off LSU for Softshirt and uh, holding off the Mississippi schools on Byron Young as well. So I mean, you got to give him credit for um, getting two you know good players out of a difficult recruiting territory. Yeah, and then we'll see if they try to add some graduate transfers. Still, uh, I think tight end is definitely a spot where they may look because I don't think near the end of the season they were you know anticipating losing Irv Smith I think they were hoping he would return but Irv may very well be a first round pick so he has departed uh and so now uh you know we'll see what happens they may and they could even you know look around look at some linebackers uh and some defensive linemen but I think especially tight end where they lost Irv Smith Hale Hinches uh, and now the Kedrick James his future is uncertain so you've got Miller Forstall you've got Major Tennyson You've got Jaleel Billingsley, who they're really high on from Chicago out of this recruiting class. I know Jeff Banks thought he was the best receiving tight end in high school football, but again, he's probably not going to be ready to play this fall. And then you got Michael Parker. Where is he at in his development after redshirting as part of the class last year from my community in Westminster? So we'll talk more about this when we preview spring practice, but the tight end spot is definitely one uh, that we're going to be looking at very, very closely. Uh, no question uh, about that. Uh, but, but, William, I know we're uh, getting ready to wrap it up uh, here on this edition of BAMS Radio. But uh, still, it was a recruiting class, as you said. Offensive line, defensive line, defensive backs. Uh, it's a very strong one on paper. They've still got a, a spot or two now that they can fill in. Last year, they found Tafita Masaika, a late junior college ad. But this year, we'll see if they try to kick the tires on some graduate transfers. Uh, but still... The roster is going to come back pretty loaded uh, on offense. Got so many guys back. And I'm just anxious to see what Steve Sarkeesian can do with the quarterback position. He recruited both Tunga Vailoas very heavily, both Tua. And I know he would have recruited Talia, so he gets a chance to coach both of them. And so we'll see where he, what he brings to the quarterback position. I, th- I still think that was a big part of hiring Steve as well. He has a very good relationship with their family. And so uh, I think that was key. And then, of course, they can keep some ties to the West Coast in recruiting. Uh, Tosh Lupoy had done a hell of a job, but now Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian 
uh, can do that also, no doubt about it. But uh, we want to thank everyone for uh, you know listening to our uh, post-signing day edition. We think this recruiting class is very strong. But, William, I wanted to get one more thought from you. I, I, I'm going to circle back to Josh Jacobs. Uh, he said something very interesting that I wanted to get your thoughts on. I know that Najee Harris had a good year this year, and he's certainly going to be counted on to take that next step as a running back. But I'll tell you what, I know you've been very high on Brian Robinson since we signed him. I have as well. And Josh Jacobs, basically, that was the one other thing he said in our conversation. He said to watch out that Brian Robinson is sleeping on a lot of people. He's about to explode. said he was 240 pounds and running under – Running under a four five forty, and that he was going to be the guy to you know to break out this coming fall. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I mean, you, you gotta, you know, I guess in this particular case, you gotta be thankful that he is from Tuscaloosa. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that has a little a little bit to do with how much patience he's shown, uh, you know, up to this point. Uh, but I really like that kid. I think he's. Uh, like, kind of like Josh Jacobs, he runs angry, he runs hard. Um, you know, he's had a chance to, you know, kind of get his feet wet and get some experience. Um, you know, I think he has a chance to earn that starting job next year. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it, you know, how it all plays out. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two thoughts. I don't know if you've heard this already or not. I, I hadn't until I was talking to a former teammate of mine. Uh, earlier on in my trip today, right? Uh, did you know that uh, uh, Trent Dilfer is now a high school head coach in Nashville, Tennessee? Yes, I saw where he, I saw he took a job the other day, but honestly, I didn't realize it was that so close in Nashville. So he has relocated to the, the South. Yeah, and the the Crits is, is going to be in a David Lipscomb Academy, um, which is nice. affiliated with you know the, the same college by the same name, mm-hmm, um, right? And interesting enough, they are going to allow him to uh, keep the the Elite 11 gig up in the summertime, too. Um, Oh, cool. Right. Yeah. So they, uh, in fact, my my former teammate is going to be interviewing for a job with him uh, latter part of this week. So that's how I found out. I didn't know it it, it, made the news or anything, but I figured, you know, as much as. Well, I saw him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He made an announcement and said he was going somewhere, but I just didn't peel back the onion to see where. But that's really cool. And I, you know, I I really need to reach out to him and try to get him on and get him on my show and try to, uh, you know, and try to pick his brain because I know he's been on with Ryan Fowler in Tuscaloosa, but uh, I know he's high on both the tongue of Iloas and I, but I just really. Uh, enjoy would enjoy talking football with him. I think he's one of the great minds there is in the game. Yeah, I mean it was it was kind of interesting because you know getting the the backstory. Um, a lot of people thought that that uh, Lipscomb Academy was going to target um, uh, the guy that basically built Ensworth from the ground up, Ricky right. Powers, and right. also former Florida quarterback Engel Martin, who's across town at at Christ Presbyterian High School, but they, they ended up making a pretty pretty big splash higher, if you ask me. Oh, no, there's no doubt about it. And uh, but, but, I, but I am anxious to see Brian Robinson. And, and we want, the last thought is, before we wrap, is what, were your, what, was, what did you make of the Ayabi Anoma situation where he, he meets with Nick Saban and uh, he had put his name in the transfer portal, but now 
Nick Saban announces he's taking it out. He's pretty much been like a roller coaster since he got to Alabama, but I think that's going to be very interesting to see if Coach Sal Sanceri, uh, now his position coach in Nick Saban, can get him to stay at Alabama and develop him because, you know, there's no questioning his raw talent, but he does have a long way to go as a football player. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I think that was probably a knee-jerk reaction to Tosh LePoy departing. Um, You know, that's been, you know, the guy that recruited him, the guy that coached him, and, you know, for him to just, you know, you know, be there one day, gone the next type deal. And, and, you know, Noma's got some off-the-field stuff that, you know, needs to be managed as well. And, and, you know, it doesn't really surprise me. I I think that uh, this was a tough year for him. Um, he probably could have benefited in retrospect um, from a redshirt year. I just don't think he was quite ready. Um, so this is going to be a big, a big year for him. I mean, he's he's got to get out there and you know try and try and get some playing time from either uh, Terrell Lewis or, or Chris Allen. I think those are going to end up being the two starters. But um, I think it's certainly. Um, worked out in, in, in Alabama's favor for him to remove himself from the transfer portal because they're really, um, as you've seen the last two seasons, it doesn't take but one or two injuries out there on the edge, and, and all of a sudden the, the quarterback pressure from the outside goes bye-bye. Yeah, no wonder. I mean, they lose to Clemson. I mean, by the time they get there, Christian Miller doesn't play a snap, and you don't have Terrell Lewis or Chris Allen. Uh, Anthony Jennings still coming back. I think he'll be even better next year. You'll have Jennings and then, like you said, a combination of Terrell Lewis and Chris Allen. Allen could perhaps even play inside some. Uh, but then also, hopefully, a Yabi and Noma who can be developed. Uh, that's what Alabama's got to get back to doing, pressuring the quarterback, because that's the only way you beat a guy like Trevor Lawrence with his talent and those wide receivers. But uh, we'll see about that uh, in the future. But uh, certainly something to watch and monitor. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to BAMS Radio tonight. We want to thank Thomas the Wizard Watts for producing this uh, and, of course, William for hanging with us uh, on his uh, travels uh, to Charlotte, North Carolina. Safe travels. William, is uh, you uh, going to be working there this week? Uh, I'll be, uh, uh, you know, on the road some, too, maybe doing some high school basketball regionals. But it, we'll, be, we'll join you again in the near future to start previewing spring practice and, and kind of break down each position uh, and then further talk about this recruiting class a little bit also uh, as we see, because there's so many of these guys that will be early enrollees that could make an impact this spring. And so we'll talk about that and the new coaching staff, uh, you know, in, uh, in the coming weeks. But we appreciate everybody for joining BAMS Radio and continuing to support it. Uh, it continues to grow. But we want to thank everybody for uh, joining us and listening uh, to the podcast. And uh, for William Redfish Barger and for Thomas Watts, I want to say good night, and we'll talk to you again soon in the future and Roll Tide.